0: Let's turn to Acts chapter 10 this morning. We have really the entire chapter before us, but we're only going to deal with a couple verses. But I will read the entire chapter for us so we have the context for uh, what we're going to deal with right at the end of the chapter. And because it's such a long chapter, I'm I'm not going to ask you to stand, um, but certainly to follow along in your Bibles with me. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you come upon us today that your Holy Spirit would fill us and we would have an understanding of what your word says, that our eyes would be open to how then we are to live because of what we see in your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 10. Now there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually, he would be called what was called a righteous Gentile uh, or a proselyte Jew, somebody who was not Jewish by birth, but who would believe in the God of the Jews, but would not fully be accepted by the Jews because he was not one of them. Verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said to him, Cornelius. Fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a certain tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And we saw that just at the end of chapter 9 as Simon lived with a tanner, someone who worked with dead animals. Okay? Verse 7, And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in constant attendance upon him. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he beheld the sky sky opened up, and a certain object, like a great sheet, coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, "'Arise, Peter, kill and eat.' But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Now, just as an aside, and we're going to see this in a few moments, these two words often fill Peter's conversations with God. No, Lord. Those are just two bad words to put together. Okay, And we'll see that more as we go along. Verse 15. And again a voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now while Peter was greatly perplexed in his mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold the men who had been sent by Cornelius having asked directions for Simon's house appeared at the gate and calling out they were asking whether Simon who was also called Peter was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision the spirit said to him behold three men are looking for you but arise go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings for I have sent them myself. And Peter went down to the men and said behold I am the one you are looking for what is the reason for which you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. And so he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. And so I asked, for what reason you have sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon, the tanner by the sea. And so I sent to you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem and they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he he should become visible not to all the people but to the witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God that is to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. The Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Everyone in the room came to Christ. Everyone believed at that point. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed... ...because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized... ...who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ... And they asked him to stay on for a few days. This is God's inspired word for us today. Now many of you remember, probably in middle school, high school, reading The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. And he had a friend of uh, somewhat questionable repute named Huck Finn, a rather undesirable type. And one, on one occasion, Huck tried to get into Tom's gang. And uh, the dialogue from the book goes like this. Now, Tom, ain't you always been friendly to me? You wouldn't shut me out, would you, Tom? To which Tom replied, Huck, I wouldn't want to, and I don't want to. But what would people say? Why, they'd say, hmm, Tom Sawyer's gang, pretty low characters in it. Then they'd mean you, Huck, and you wouldn't like that, and I wouldn't either. Well, who can join the club, hmm? Who can join a club? Sometimes people are, um, what's the old term, blackballed. You know, they, they, they put a ball in and judge your fitness to join. Uh, just recently, in the past couple months, two ladies have been invited to join Augusta National. Now, this was, uh, is still one of the last bastions of, um, uh, what do you know, maleness or whatever in, in the golf world. Uh, now, they've been asked to join. I don't know whether they have or not. Uh, the two ladies are not, if if I, I, I tried carefully here, they're not ordinary ladies, okay? I understand there's, no lady is ordinary, okay? But, I live in a house full of ladies, okay? Darla Moore, one of the richest, richest CEOs in the nation, female CEOs in the nation, and Dr. Condoleezza Rice, the former Secretary of State. These are two very accomplished individuals, and they have been invited to join Augusta. Now, I remember when uh, I asked my dad when we were watching the Masters one day, and I said, Dad, how do you join Augusta? And they said, he said, well, you're asked. And I said, how much do you think it is to join? And he said, you don't ask. Okay. <laughs> and what i understand is that at the end of the year they simply assess dues okay now, now just think if you were a member of a club and you didn't know how much you were going to have to pay throughout the year and just at the end of the year you got a bill okay like like i said if you if it was if you have to ask you can't afford it okay and of course groucho marx who said i refuse to join any club that would have me as a member well Up until now, the church has been an exclusive club. Up until this chapter in scripture, it has been the exclusive domain of the chosen people of God who have heard the message of Jesus Christ. Now, yes, we know that there were some exceptions. We start back in the Old Testament. You see people like Rahab um, who is at Jericho and she becomes a believer just from the things that she hears about what the God of Israel is doing Uh, and then she helps the spies, etc. And then we see the people of Nineveh. The message of Christ is preached to the people of Nineveh and Jonah hates it because they are not like he is, but yet they come to faith. The entire city comes to faith and the Lord spares them. Every once in a while, in the New Testament so far, we have seen Gentiles like Cornelius come to faith, or uh, others. The the churches up in Antioch, in places where the gospel has been spread, up in Samaria, and the Spirit has come upon them. And naturally, when this happens, the church in Jerusalem, which is like the mother church, they send a couple people out just to check and see if this is true, because they raise the question. I, I mean, the gospel's for us. It is for the Jews. We are the chosen people. What are those Gentiles doing believing? And and can they actually believe? Now you have to understand, this was a shock to their their whole world. Religion was everything to them. The temple was the central place uh, of worship and of community. And then Jesus Christ comes and says that the Lord will live within you. And he says, you are my chosen people. And all of a sudden, these Gentiles, who they hate, who they loathe, are coming to Christ and they're having issues with this. I mean, they're having big issues with this and Peter in particular is having some issues with this. Now, if you have your Bible open, turn over to Galatians chapter 3. There is a monumental shift that goes on in this chapter and basically we are here because of this chapter I know we're here because of the work of Christ and God's sovereign plan all of that but in human terms it's chapter 10 of Acts that gets us here because the gospel goes from the exclusive club of the Jews to include now the hated Gentiles suddenly we are welcomed into the kingdom By belief in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26. For all, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Can you get this? I mean, this is, this is like a, a slap of cold water, a slap across the face. Can you believe this? There's neither distinction between Jews or Greeks any longer. Slave or free, male or female, we are all one in Christ. Now, we are different, obviously. We bring different gifts. We are called to do different things. But you are all one in Christ. Someone used to tell me, the ground before the cross is level. There's no distinction. Well, when the Lord sees Grace and Donald standing next to one another, that's not equal. Okay? He's a foot taller than Grace. Okay? My contention is that there are all these holes before the cross, in a sense, and we're all at the same level. Okay, there's no distinction that way. Okay, we are seen in Christ as cleansed by Christ. Yes, the Lord knows my name, He knows my gifts. He has chosen me before the foundations of the earth. But in Christ, I'm no different than anybody else than a Chinese believer, than a Russian believer, than a believer in Africa, because we are changed by the work of Christ. He says, you are Abraham's offspring. Remember what Jesus said? Make sons of Abraham from these stones. Okay. For almost 2,000 years since Abraham, a Gentile had to first become Jewish before he would be accepted by God. But it is very clear from the 12th chapter of Genesis that all the nations would be blessed in Abraham. And this is the fulfillment of that. As the the covenant promise of Abraham, the chosen people of God, and now Gentiles have been grafted into that tree. And we are receiving the blessings that have come upon Abraham. And its radical shift takes place. The door is now open to Gentiles. It does not require them first to become Jewish. They They go right from pagan to Christian. Now is the time for this promise to come to fruition in Acts chapter ten, so let 's go back there now this didn 't come easy to the Jews, as I said, didn't particularly peter didn 't come easy to him, so God had to give him a vision and break down some of his prejudices now we 've seen in the uh, in regard to the Samaritans because they the Jews hated the Samaritans and they have come to Christ. We see that Peter is staying in the house of a tanner somebody who works with dead animals none of the other jews would be want to be around simon the tanner but yet peter is staying with him and as i said before peter has this habit of including two words together when the lord speaks to him lord no now we see this in a couple of places when in caesarea philippi jesus began to openly say that he would be taken to jerusalem that he would be put to death. And what does Peter say? Never, Lord. That will never be. Okay? Well, gee, the Lord has just said it. But Peter, in his personality coming out, says, no, Lord. And then the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is quoting uh, Zechariah 13, he says, you'll all be scattered like sheep without a shepherd. You'll desert me. And Peter says, no, Lord, I will never desert you. Yes, you will. And then here again in Acts, he says, No, Lord, to a dream that comes from the Lord. Very clear, this vision from the Lord. Now, yes, it is very different than what Peter's used to. It is a complete change in the way that he has been raised and the way that he has understood the Lord. The Lord is telling him now it is different. Now, I'm sure this does not apply to any of us, that we would include no, Lord, in the same sentence. If the Lord would call us to do something, we would naturally say, yes, Lord. What did Mary say? May it be according to your will. And remember what the Lord called Mary to do, which was pretty radical. You say, well, if the Lord told me what to do, then I would say yes to him. Now, I, I won't ask if you've ever had a vision or if you've ever... Clearly heard the Lord speak to you, but there are things we know the Lord expects us to do. There's that passage from Micah that says what? I was, I was hoping you, you remember it. Uh, uh, we, uh, we... Thank you, thank you, Charlotte. Uh, love, mercy, seek justice, walk humbly with your God. Okay? You got that? Love, mercy, seek justice, walk humbly with your God. What does the Lord want me to do? Wants you to love mercy. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. So don't say, Lord, no, in that same phrase. He wants you to seek justice. What does the Lord want me to do? He wants you to walk humbly with him. Now, how you live that out is still left to you relative to the rest of Scripture. How do you walk humbly with your God? Other places, Amos, other places in the Old Testament say, Do two men walk together unless by agreement? What they're saying is, if you're going in the same direction, you have to agree on the direction that you're going. If you're going to walk humbly with your God, what does that mean on our part? I have to agree with his direction and get on board with him. We can't say, Lord, I'm going over here, I want you to bless this. And the Lord is saying, Randy, I'm over here and this is what I'm going to bless. Why aren't you with me? Oh, Lord, but, uh, but I'm over here because this is the desire of my heart. No, no, Randy. Walk humbly with me. Conform your will to mine, and we will walk in the same direction. And you will know perfect peace. You will know that. Well, what exactly is Peter being asked to do here? Now, in our world today, we're familiar with the term anti-Semitism. We see that there are certain nations across the world that really want to wipe Israel off the map, and if they had their way, there would be no Jews in the world. They would just kill them all, and so they've formed a word of, of anti-Semitism. Well, really, in the first century, it was the opposite, almost an anti-Gentileism, okay? Because the Jews had it right, and if you weren't Jewish, then you weren't right. So they had a a hatred and a dislike of everyone who was not like them. They were the chosen people of God. There's really a, a different type of discrimination that we're used to in today's world. Peter is asked, as a Jewish man, as a circumcised Jewish man, as a food law abiding Jewish man, who's been circumcised, who's lived his whole life that way, to walk into the house of a Gentile and have a meal with him. There's really only one other guy who did this kind of stuff. Who was that? That's Jesus, yeah. You know. <laughs> and, and, and they hated him. And, but Peter is at peace with this because the Lord has come to him in this vision and said, Peter, I'll show you what you have to do. Now's the time to change. So he goes into the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, a Roman soldier, and he has a meal with him. Flip over to Galatians chapter 2. I, if I know we were in 3. Go back to 2. Peter is being asked to show the same hospitality, the same respect that he would for any Jewish individual because now we are all in Christ. And Peter does well sometimes and Peter does poorly sometimes. And so... Acts, this is an example of Peter doing good. Here in Galatians, not so good. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Now the first portion of Galatians uh, reflects on on Paul's uh, time before the Jerusalem council. So here we're still there. Verse 11 of chapter 2. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This is Paul For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, which is what the Lord said was okay to do. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. He didn't want to offend the Jews who weren't as far down the road spiritually as he was or who didn't believe that the church was now open to the Gentiles. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy. Peter led, they all followed with the results that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus... Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. He says, get over it, Peter. The law is not a factor in salvation anymore. You don't have to toe the line. These things do not get you before the Lord. They do not make you righteous before God. It is the work of Christ alone that gets you there. Peter got it some days. Other days he was weak. Other days he was weak. Back to Acts 10. Now we've talked about this a couple of times. How God works differently in the hearts of different people. But the outcome of the saving work of Jesus Christ is always the same. It is a changed life. Now God may have changed your life out of the middle of a cesspool. You might have been deep in sin, not even interested in the things of Christ not even looking for him and like Saul he calls your name and says you belong to me and your life was forever changed or you may have been somebody who just was in and around the things of Christ all your life and that came to fruition at one point and you said of course I believe of course he is my Lord or maybe you were one of those people that sought him one of those people that said, there's something missing in my life. There's something not right in my life. And you began to look. And you began to ask some questions. Cornelius is one of those people. He he knows God is out there and he wants to find him. And he he, he feels compelled to act in a certain way. And God honors that. You know, that knocking, seeking, asking. Those types of things. Now, if a young man comes to me and says, Randy, I'm I'm... Trying to find a girl. I'm trying to find a girl to marry. You know, one that might have my values, one that, one that I can take home to mom, you know, that kind of thing. And I said, well, where are you looking? And he says, well, I've been hanging out at a couple of these these bars, it's kind of a seedy section, and of course at the jail on Saturday nights, and I'm just not finding the girl that I think I should, should take home to mom. If you want to find something, you have to look in the right place. You want to find the things of truth, you look where truth is. You want to find the things of God. If your heart is seeking the Lord, then you ought to hang out with a place. You ought to hang out in a place where the things of the Lord are taught. Where the people who believe that way spend their time. You want to find the truth, you hang out where the truth is proclaimed. Well, back in Acts chapter 4... Peter said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's one name by which men are saved that is Jesus Christ. Good Muslims, good Buddhists, good Druids do not go to heaven because they do not believe and have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Good Americans, good Europeans, good Africans, good Russians, good Chinese, whatever it is, if they do not believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they do not go to heaven. There is one name and one name alone. Now you understand that in certain parts of the world, if you were to stand up and say those things, that would pretty much sign a death warrant for you. Because they are so adamant and so tied to their false belief That anything else, it's like the guy who puts his hands over his ears so he doesn't have to hear the truth. The truth is so offensive that people will kill those who bring the truth in our world today. There's only one name and one means of salvation, and that is Jesus Christ. And we cannot be sidetracked from that. We cannot get off the tracks when it comes to proclaiming the things that are true. When we talk to people about spiritual things, it's easy to get sidetracked by questions that they may have because they don't want to face the central issue. You begin to talk about what you believe about Jesus Christ and about God, and they ask you about evolution. Well, how do you jive evolution and this? Or or, you're Presbyterian, so so how do you jive with predestination and free will? And suddenly you're into a theological discussion that takes you way over here when the central issue is what? Jesus Christ. What will you do with this man called Jesus? What will you do with the Son of God? Will you believe upon him? Do you understand that he calls you to a life that is different? Do you understand that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left the right hand of the Father, came into this world, and gave his life as a sacrifice of sin for you? What will you do with this man named Jesus? You want to talk about the other things? We can talk about the other things. Once you have dealt with Jesus Christ. Once you have dealt with Jesus Christ. There is a club that will have you as a member. No matter who you are. It takes faith in Jesus Christ. That's this club. It's called the church. The body of Christ. So today, what will you do with Jesus Christ? Will you believe upon him and receive him as your Lord and Savior? Or will you remain outside, always looking in? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you came to Peter and made clear to him. There's no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We are one in Christ. That there is no, no other name under heaven and earth by which men will be saved, except the name of Jesus Christ. So many seek for truth. So many are so adamant about their wrong beliefs. But for we who are here today, Lord, the question is, what will we do with this man in Christ? What will we do with the claims of Jesus Christ to be the Son of God, to be the sinless and perfect sacrifice for our sin, the only way that we can be reconciled with you? He's the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. Today, Lord, I would ask that you would open our eyes to this. There are those who are here today who have never believed that you would come upon them with your Holy Spirit, and open their eyes to their sinfulness, their need of forgiveness, and the love that Jesus has, that they would profess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that their lives would forever be changed, the burden of sin, the weight upon them would be taken, Lord, that they would be cleansed and know this newness, know this peace, peace that passes all understanding. Come upon us today, Lord. If we are already believers, remind us of this truth. Of what you call us to do. That we would use the, the two words, yes and Lord, together all the time. What do you call us to do? Yes, Lord, we will do that. You call me to go where? Yes, Lord, I will do that. You call me to do what? Yes, Lord, I will do that. That we might pursue and live within your perfect will. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.